Hello and how are you? This is Hear Her Sports. I'm your host and producer, Elizabeth Emery. We have another terrific episode today. My guest is race car driver Tony Breidinger. She is young and focused and smart. I'm absolutely thrilled she took the time to join me. I don't want to spoil it, but she has great words about independence, being a woman in sports, using simulators for track recon, fashion, and sleep. And I want to say a big yay for the brands that support Tony and women in sports. Tony has found sponsors and a terrific team that believe in her and work with her. As I mentioned in the last episode, it really is important for organizations, businesses, and individuals to partner with women doing valuable work. I love talking to Tony, a young athlete and a real rising star in sport, and she's a race car driver. It's just so cool. Well, now let's get to it and meet Tony. Today's guest is Tony Bridenger, a 22-year-old rookie race car driver. She is the all-time winningest female in U.S. Auto Club history with 19 wins. Like all race car drivers, Tony has sponsors. Hers include fashion and makeup brands. And she recently signed with Triller, a social media platform. So she will be racing their number 25 Triller Toyota Camry after recently switching to Venturini Motorsports, a Toyota racing development team for the remainder of the 2021 season. Tony is one of only a handful of female drivers. In February, when she raced the Arca Menard Series in Daytona International Speedway, finishing in 18th place out of 33, she made history as NASCAR's first Arab-American female driver. Tony, welcome. It is great to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. Well, you know, I've been looking at your social media and over the past month, you have been racing and traveling a lot. Like, what have you been up to? Yeah, I honestly, my days are all just a blur. I never know what day it is. I'm always like, wait, what did I do yesterday? Because I feel like I'm always traveling, doing different things. So I lose track of time. Just when I look at my social media posts, I'm like, oh, wow, that was five days ago. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So it's been pretty crazy. Um, I was in LA recently. I did a race with Pit Viper in a minivan in Minnesota, which was quite an experience. Um, And then last week I got an award at NASCAR's Banquet based out of Charlotte. So I've really been pretty much all over the place. Is that sort of typical? Yeah, I would say so. You know, with the racing season, um, we always race in a different state pretty much every weekend. For the most part, it's kind of like southeast based. I don't really go to the West Coast too much for racing. Um, That's more on like the modeling and kind of like other entertainment side of things. Right. Well, tell me about the van racing. I saw a little bit, but holy cow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've never, I've never jumped anything in my life. And I had to jump this minivan. And I'm like, I've never jumped anything. This is going to be experience. I honestly don't know what to do besides for it and see what happens. So it was really fun. Um, The group of guys, they were great. Pit Vipers, great. That was my first time doing an event with them. So that was really cool. But it was an experience. My van, they bought it for like $300. Didn't even last a lap. I took one jump and I was like, dang, it sounds like this thing's about to blow up. I'm like going up this hill. It's barely making it. I like slam back down after the jump and then it just breaks. So <laughs> we came back in on the tow truck, but it was still a good solid one lap. That's funny. Did it feel different driving the van? I mean, like how did you, I don't know, how did you manage that? Yeah. I mean, going into this, I was like, this is purely just for fun. Um, So this race had zero pressure, which was nice because I feel like a lot of races that I do now, there's kind of a lot of pressure behind it and it's serious, you know, like what results I get. 
So this one was nice because it was just for fun. I was like, it doesn't matter if I break down or if I don't finish, whatever happens. It's just kind of for fun. But yeah, totally different. The brakes barely worked on the thing. The steering was all messed up. So it was not my typical ride, but it was still fun. Well, there's a ton that I want to get into today, but can we just start with how you got into driving cars? And I know you started driving when you were young, when you were nine years old with your twin sister. But tell me more, like why and how cars, what was the love affair? So yeah, correct. I started racing with my twin sister, Annie, in go-karts when we were nine. And my dad took us to the go-kart track purely just for fun. He has a background in mechanical engineering. So he's always had a passion for motorsports and cars, but was not really involved in the racing world all that much. So when we, you know, got this huge interest in it, we're like, dad, please get us a go-kart. And then kind of all started from there. Fast forward about, I would say seven years, my dad got us our first race car, um, which is called a Ford Focus Midget. And that's when I started getting into the oval track racing. So that was a big learning experience and a leap for me. And I think at that point, that's when I kind of started my interest in NASCAR. Before that, I didn't really know what form of motorsports I wanted to go into. I just wanted to be a race car driver. You know, growing up, I wanted to do Formula One, IndyCar, drag racing, NASCAR. I just wanted to do it all, which isn't the most realistic perspective, but I just knew that I wanted to be behind the wheel in something. But once I got started in race cars at 15, that's when I saw my first stock car race. And I was like, you know, I really want to go down this path. And that's kind of when things got a little bit more serious to me and my parents. So yeah, I kind of just started in go-karts and then got into race cars. And now I'm here after a long 12-year journey. <laughs> right, right. So, so describe why there was such an attraction to the cars. You know, I'm always so fascinated by people who feel that certainty so young. Yeah, when I was a kid, I told my parents, I wanna be a race car driver. And I said a lot of things when I was a kid, you know, at one point I wanted to be an actress, at one point I wanted to be a singer. I always had some crazy type of idea of what I wanted to do when I was older. So I'm sure when I told my parents this, they kind of brushed it off. They're like, okay, yeah, like go for it. But they weren't thinking that I was actually gonna follow through. Um, <laughs> so I think that definitely kind of caught them off guard. But you know, for me, I think when I started in go-karts, that was my first time really doing something where I got this sense of independence. You know, when you're in school, you have teachers telling you what to do. Usually the sports you're playing are group sports or like in PE class. So this was really the first time where I felt like I was in control of something. I was independent. So I think that sense of independence when I was out there on the racetrack, you know, just at nine years old, I'm just driving. I thought that was the coolest thing ever. So I think that's initially what got me super interested in it. And then once I got racing, I'm a pretty competitive person. So when you throw in the competition aspect um, and all the other little variables into racing, that makes it so intense. And you're just so close to other competitors and racers. I think that's kind of what really kept me to stay was the competition. But I think when I was a kid, that first little taste of independence and driving is kind of what got me interested. Are go-karts fast? Yeah, so when I was 12, I did this one race in California and it's traditionally a road course for cars. So it's this big track. And I remember we hit like 100 miles per hour, like in a little go-kart at that Come track. Come on. It was pretty crazy. Wow. I can't yeah. imagine as a 12-year-old going, no wonder you were attracted to it. <laughs> right. And with go-karts, you're so close to the ground. So I feel like it looks like you're going so much faster than you are. You just get this like sensation of speed. Wow. Do you remember what it was like to learn to drive as a kid? Honestly, not really. Like, you know, 
before I got my first go-kart, it was at a school, so they kind of taught us the fundamentals. But for me, it was really just okay, like right foot on the gas, left foot on the brake, turn the wheel. Like that was pretty much the basic of it. They didn't really get, you know, too detailed, especially because most of us were that young. I think if they tried to get a little bit more complex, it probably would have been a little overwhelming. But yeah, like I feel like it just kind of came naturally. And then, you know, when I took my driver's test when I was 16, I was like, oh, this is easy. I already know how to drive. Like, this is nothing <laughs> new for me. So I think right. it always kind of came naturally. Oh, that's interesting. Do you have any sense of why you're good at it and like what makes you good now? So for me personally, I feel like, you know, why I've been excelling all these years is the effort that I've put in. You know, I've definitely, you know, taken time away from like other sports and, you know, you know, the social aspect in school. And I feel like at a young age, I really was focused on this and I put so much time and effort into it with physical training. And then with my trainer out here in North Carolina, we'll do, you know, cognitive training, hand-eye coordination, so much other, you know, detailed stuff that goes into it. So I think for me, just giving it my all 100% is what really helped me excel. I think with racing and, you know, sports in general, you can be naturally gifted, but to really, you know, make a profession out of it and climb through the ranks, I think you actually have to work at it. Well, your social media definitely makes it clear that you work hard. I do want to talk about your training, but before we do that, can we step back a little bit and talk about what kind of racing you actually do? I mean, I hadn't realized before I started prepping to talk to you how many different kinds there are. So maybe just give an overview of what you do and what makes it different. Yeah, so there's so many different forms of motorsports. I mean, I've tried a lot of them, but my focus right now is, you know, getting to the NASCAR Cup Series. So right now I'm in a series called the Arkham Menard Series. Um, and basically it's part of the NASCAR ladder system. This series will go Arkham Menard Series. The next one up will be the Truck Series. After that, Xfinity and then the Cup Series. So I have a few more steps to go until I get to the top level. Um, but it's all part of NASCAR's ladder system. So yeah, that's the current series that I'm in. And, you know, Trailer hopped on as a sponsor this year, which was really exciting. And I'm with a new team that's a Toyota racing development team. It's really exciting. I'm really excited to see, you know, what happens in these next couple races before the season ends. I think we have a good shot at it. And describe the races, like how long they are and, and anything else we might need to know. Yeah, so every track that we race on is a different length. So our races kind of go by miles. So like, let's say this race will be like, okay, 100 miles, this one will be 200 miles. So on average, the race is, I would say around two hours. So yeah, usually on average, we're driving for that long, you know, we'll have our few pit stops that we do, but those go by pretty fast. Um, and you're kind of giving feedback to your team at that point. So the pit stops are like a little bit of a break, but pretty much you're just going on for two hours straight. What is it like to be in the car, you know, describe the G-forces and the heat and, you know, your outfit and what it's like to be really close to the other cars? Yeah, it's definitely pretty crazy behind the wheel. You have so many things happening so fast and you have to be able to react really fast and precisely, you know, if you even just lose concentration for a tenth of a second, which is literally a blink of an eye, you're going to end up in the wall. So it just takes an intense amount of focus. Um, and really being at your peak performance. And that's why, you know, I go to a trainer pretty much every day unless I'm traveling. And for us, we'll work on, you know, the physical training, cardio, strength. You know, our heart rate is really high for two hours, which is a pretty long time to have a high heart rate. So we'll work a lot on cardio, you know, upper body strength. Um, even my legs will get tired, you know, depending on the track, you know, if you have to use a lot of brakes on some track or some tracks are all just throttle. So 
you know, that's important too. And with the G-forces, core is really important. You know, you're in this seat, you really can't move, but if your core is weak, then, you know, you won't really be able to stabilize yourself in the car. You know, some tracks are rougher than others. So it really depends on the track surface with how demanding a track is. But yeah, the G-forces are crazy at Daytona is when I really felt my first, you know, big amount of G-forces. And that was the most wild experience. It just totally threw me off. I was like, whoa, I've never felt G-forces like that before. So it's pretty crazy. And, you know, we also train our neck because of the G-forces. Um, it's important to have a strong neck. So there's so many little aspects that go in driving a race car that I don't think people realize because the easiest thing for people to relate it to is them driving on the road. But it's a totally different experience. Yeah. I mean, you're just sitting there, so it should be easy, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so you said that you train with a trainer every day. So like, what, how does that look? Like, what does your training look like when you're at home and, and training and not racing? I'll kind of like go into like what we did yesterday. Yesterday was more of our cardio day. So I'll have a heart rate monitor on. And basically with that, we'll want to make sure that my heart rate is going to be like similar to what it would be when I'm racing. So that's kind of our goal is to train in that heart rate zone, which is usually like 80 to 90% max heart rate. Um, so we'll train in that zone. And then between my cardio, we'll do like 10, 15 minutes of cardio, and then we'll do cognitive training and hand-eye coordination, which is so hard when you're tired and fatigued already. You have to still be able to react fast, stay focused. So it's really what we train for, for the most part. And then, you know, we have some other things like the neck training, which I hate doing, but it's definitely important. Um, you know, you want to make sure that you have like a strong neck so you can keep your head up right when you're driving. Um, so we'll do that. And then the typical strength training for me, I feel like my biggest focus is upper body strength. So yeah, it's kind of a look at what we do. We'll also do heat training because it does get really hot in the race car. So we'll train in a sauna um, and all that kind of fun stuff. So yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> what does the cognitive training look like? Yeah, so my trainer has, I don't remember the name of the program, but the program is designed for all sorts of cognitive training. We have like peripheral vision, hand-eye coordination, you know, how fast can you react? There's all different types of training that fall in the cognitive training. Like yesterday, basically these numbers would pop up and I'd have to, they pop up for like a split second. I'd have to remember where those numbers are and tap the squares in order. And I was doing that with my heart rate already high. And we do that for a pretty long time too. So he tries to, you know, fatigue our bodies, but also fatigue our minds. And we have to push ourselves to still be able to react fast, just like in the race car. When you're in the race car towards the end of the race, like, what's it like to be both fatigued physically and mentally? And how are you staying focused when you're in a car in those last miles? Yeah, it's difficult sometimes, you know, especially in the summer. Those race cars get really hot. You're already dehydrated before the race even starts. So there's been times where I'm racing and I'm like, dang, I'm about to throw up from just like heat exhaustion. Like, I just feel sick to my stomach. But I'm like, unless I literally am about to pass out, like blacking out in the moment, I'm not going to pull in. But it's definitely hard to focus, you know, and... For me, I have my team communicating to me on a radio while I'm driving. So personally for myself, I like my team to be talking a good bit because I feel like that kind of keeps your mind from wandering off to like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired. Or like one of the races I did, I got in a wreck the week before and I had really bad back pain when I was racing. So I think for me, you know, just my team communicating to me a lot about the race and about, you know, what's happening in front of me kind of keeps me focused. Do you have an example of when you lost focus and what happened? Um, 
I thankfully haven't had, actually, no, I have a great, I have a great story. I learned at a very young age how important it was to stay focused. My second go-kart race ever, I somehow made it up to second place. And I remember coming off the turn, I had one lap to go and all I was thinking of was myself on that podium. And I spun out because <laughs> I lost focus. And my dad's like, you have to stay 100% focused until you cross that checkered flag. But I learned at a young age, like how important it is to stay focused and not to let your mind wander off to other things. Cause the race isn't over until you cross the checkered flag. But yeah, I remember I cried like all the way home and I was so upset and I literally was just envisioning myself on that podium and then it didn't happen. Oh my God, I love that story. <laughs> yeah, so at a young age, I learned about that and thankfully I've always kind of kept that in mind and I haven't had any other incidents like that. And how do you prep for race? I mean, like what are, when you're, you know where you're going, obviously, coming up for the next race, like what are you doing to prep? How are you, you know, doing recon of the course and things like that? With racing, it's difficult because it's not like I can be like, oh, I'm racing at Daytona next week. Let me just go practice there every day. Like, that's sure. not really how it works. But thankfully, we, you know, we have technology. So I have a simulator at my house. Nothing too fancy, but, you know, it helps me kind of learn the track and, you know, practice racing. It's on this iRacing uh, software. So we'll use that. The tracks are all scanned on there. So if there is a bump in the track, you're going to feel that in the simulator so that's a really cool aspect to it and I feel like that helps you learn the tracks it's not exactly like doing it in real life but it's pretty close and then with Toyota they have a simulator as well which is an insanely fancy simulator and it's pretty cool the what kind of things they can do with that and again the tracks are scanned and you know they have the sim moving so it kind of replicates g-forces and all that kind of stuff and it's pretty crazy so we'll use that. And I feel like that's a pretty effective way, you know, since we can't actually go to the track in person, I think that's kind of like the second best way to do it. And do you focus on who your competitors are going to be? Or do you think about, you know, how the car is going to be outfitted? Are you involved in that? With competitors, I don't have really beef with anybody. So um, I don't really pay attention to, you know, who's racing. I kind of identify people by their car numbers and all that kind of stuff rather than their faces. So I don't really have like competitors that I pay too much attention to like, oh, so-and-so's racing this race. I don't really have that mindset, but you know, at the shop, I'll pay attention to, you know, what car I'm going into that weekend and, you know, has this car been raced before, you know, who raced this car before and like what kind of setups they're doing on the car. And that's kind of some of the stuff that they'll go over with us. Also in the simulator, they're able to put, you know, the setups in there and we'll kind of go over different setup changes and what this change did to the car and like how it makes me feel and all that kind of stuff. So I think that's important, you know, to be familiar, decently familiar with your car and the changes that your team's making. And are you involved, like, do you get out of the car one weekend and say, hey, you know, this needs to be looked at or whatever? Yeah, definitely. You know, every race I try to give feedback the best I can. You know, for me, some drivers like to just give feedback to give feedback. Um, but I try to stay pretty honest with it. You know, if I'm just not doing well because of my driving, I'm not going to pretend like it's the car. Uh, some drivers <laughs> tend to do that. And then your team just starts chasing their tail. Um, so I do try to give as much feedback as possible, but I'm also pretty realistic with it because easily your driving could change how the car is handling. Um, so I try to resort to that before I tell my team to change a bunch of stuff. And what are race days like? You're, you know, you arrive at the site and then what? Oh, I guess you've had breakfast too. So let's, let's say yeah. you, you wake up in the morning and then what? Yeah. So with COVID, it's kind of changed our race day schedules a little bit. It used to be 
The schedule used to be kind of extended through a three-day period. Now it's pretty much condensed into one day. Um, and we get a little bit less practice, which is kind of unfortunate for me since I am a rookie in this series. I kind of have to learn the tracks on the fly and then get ready to do racing. But yeah, every race day is a little bit different. You know, um, with Talladega, for instance, the only thing I did all day was race. And my first lap on that track was taking the green flag I had. <laughs> no idea what I was doing. And that was just due to rain and the weather. For the most part, you know, on race day, we'll get there pretty early in the morning. We'll have a driver's meeting. The cars will go through tech. Um, basically, they'll check to make sure, you know, nobody's like really cheating or anything like that. And then once everybody's cars go through tech, then we have about 30 minutes of practice, which goes by pretty fast. After practice, we'll do qualifying. And qualifying is probably my least favorite part of the day. Basically, you have one lap. And it better be your best lap ever because that's going to be where you start on the grid is, you know, what lap time you got. So after qualifying, you know, we'll do driver introductions, sometimes an autograph session before COVID, and then we'll go racing. Cool. The qualifying times, you're all sent out and they time a specific lap? You only so, have one lap? How does that work? Yeah. So basically qualifying is usually one car at a time on the track got it okay. unless it's daytona or talladega then they'll send four cars out all at once and you have to make sure you're in that draft otherwise you'll literally finish last in qualifying for the most part most of the tracks one car on the track at a time you go off pit road and you literally just get through the gears as good as you can and you know come as fast as you can down the straightaway take the green flag and you have one lap and it better be your best one. <laughs> Do you practice that? Yes. During some practice days, we'll practice, they'll call it like mock runs of qualifying. Um, Cause with qualifying, you also have new tires on too. So you have so much more grip and the car is able to do so much more. Sometimes it's hard to really know how much you can push your car until you get those new tires on, but you just kind of have to trust your car will stick in qualifying. But yeah, we'll do mock runs usually once during the race day. And in the races, you know, what are you focusing on? Like how do tactics work, for example? And, and are you looking at any numbers? And yeah, how does that work? You know, depending on the track, like let's say for Daytona Talladega, drafting is super important. You always wanna make sure you're drafting. And that's why if you have teammates, that's super helpful. Um, this past year when I was racing at those tracks, I didn't have any teammates, I didn't know anybody. Um, so there was times where I felt like I was able to pass somebody, but if nobody's going to come out and follow behind you, you're just going to drop just because of drafting and aerodynamics and everything like that in the air. But yeah, you know, with those types of races, there's a lot of strategy. Like the strategy is like stay in the draft, you know, if you're going to pull out and try to make a pass, make sure, you know, either you have somebody that will, you know, trust you and follow you along with it, or you just kind of stay in line and wait it out. And also like obviously avoiding the wrecks on those tracks is pretty important because they happen pretty fast. You know, for the shorter tracks, like the miles and mile and a half, you know, drafting is still important. But for me, I feel like the biggest thing when I'm going to these racetracks is they're all new to me. So, you know, my goal and my strategy when I'm doing these races is get a feel for the track, you know, get better every single lap, learn every single lap. For me, I think that's the most important just for me being a rookie. What are you working on now? You know, I would say for my biggest thing, um, my next race is Kansas next weekend. It's a mile and a half track. Mile and a half tracks are probably the tracks that I feel least confident in. They're pretty new to me. I did a couple races there this year and the car kind of had mechanical failures. So I wasn't really able to get a proper feel for the tracks. Um, so for me, I think I've been working on kind of like my steering input on the entry of the turn. 
Um, I don't want to get too technical, but it's crazy how much like aerodynamics affects the car. And if you don't turn the wheel like this little bit more, if you like unturn it a little bit, just totally affects the rest of the turn and like you'll lose a lot of time on that. So yeah, just getting like the proper line and just like the aerodynamics on those tracks is pretty insane. It's very line sensitive and every way that you move your wheel or if you get off the throttle too fast, all that kind of stuff just changes the handling of the car. That's kind of cool. What yeah. would you have told me if you did want to get technical? Um, <laughs> well, I start, so basically my team has data that we'll look at and they can see like, you know, when I'm driving, I don't really realize every single movement I'm doing, but when I'm with my team, they'll have, you know, data and they'll be like, okay, like on the simulator, you did this with your hands and you did this with the throttle. And it's so like something that you wouldn't really notice, but you know, the data doesn't lie. It shows it right there. And it's like, oh dang, like I did that. I had no idea. So you're kind of nitpicking, you're driving in that point, but it's important, you know, like with racing, it comes down to tenths of a second. Like everybody's so close. So you really have to nitpick it and get into details like that. What other kinds of mistakes or errors are you looking at to improve? I would say, you know, I've been working on my restarts. Um, that's one thing that I struggled with earlier this season. I feel like I've gotten a lot better. Like with restarts, basically, you know, you start in second gear and you want to make sure you shift at really specific RPMs. And I used to try to cheat. I used to try to want to get my shifting done sooner than I should have. And that's kind of when, you know, you won't get as good of a restart. You want to make sure you're always like shifting at the right RPM and all that kind of stuff. So for me, that was kind of a big learning thing, especially at these big tracks. It makes such a big difference. I want to take a quick break to thank our Patreon patrons for their financial support. Patrons help fund the cost of putting the show together, hosting the audio, website fees, the app I use to record calls with guests, and a few apps I use to improve the athlete guest experience. You can join at patreon.com slash hearhersports. There are five levels to choose from. At the $5 level and above, you'll get the monthly patron-only bonus content. If enough of you sign up, our first goal is to add transcripts to the show notes, making it more accessible and also searchable. Transcribing audio is done by a paid app and then edited, so not an insignificant addition. I'd also like to hire a female musician to create a bit more music in the show. And above all that, every single pledge helps increase the percentage of sports media coverage that is about women. This is super important because representation matters. Hearing women's stories matter in sports and outside sports. You know, you've talked a little bit about your team. I'd love to hear more about how your team was assembled and, you know, like how does that sort of business side and organizational side of the racing work? Basically, when you get with a team, the team's pretty much already formed. Um, and that's why it's important, you know, when you're looking what team do I want to join that, you know, they might be a championship winning team. They might be getting first every weekend. But if you don't get along with the people on the team, then you know, it's not going to be the right fit for you because they're not going to be like, oh, you don't like my two crew guys? Let's fire these two crew guys. Usually, you know, the people on a team, they've been there for a while and it's the drivers that kind of cycle through. So I think it's important, you know, when you're looking for teams, making sure that you get along with everyone, making sure you're all on the same page. You want to make sure that your team believes in you and you get along with them. And communication is so important, you know, off the racetrack, but also on the racetrack on race day, you want to be able to communicate with your team you know, what's the car doing and you have such limited time to communicate. So just, you know, being able to do that and trusting your team and them trusting you is really important. 
when you recently moved to a new team so how like how did you meet everybody are you brought in and everybody says oh hey maybe she's going to come on yeah so you know we met with a few different teams and um this one was just a great fit for us you know i drove for them in the past in a couple races back in 2018. Um, so I was a little familiar, you know, with some of the guys there. And, you know, I really liked working with them before and their Toyota racing development team. So I really feel like they just specialize in developing, you know, younger drivers. And they are really just great at, you know, coaching and really just bringing up drivers to the sport. They've had so many drivers, you know, make it to the top levels of racing. So they're really great about that. and. Yeah, I was really excited to join with them. All the guys are great. They're always there to help. And I feel like we're on the same page. We have the same goals every single weekend. That's cool. Have you had any trouble because you're a woman? And, and did you talk about that at all? I haven't had any trouble with this team. Um, they've actually had a lot of females that came up through the sport drive for them. So I think they're probably like the team with the most females that ever drove for them. So I feel like they're really great about not seeing us as any different. But, you know, in the past, I've definitely struggled with that. There's times where I'll be trying to, you know, tell my team what changes I want to be made and they just don't really care to listen. They think I just don't know because I'm a girl or I'll ask, okay, like what set of changes did you just make? And they just don't want to take time to explain it because they just assume that I wouldn't understand. So there's stuff like that or people tend to just think, oh, she's a girl anyway. She's not going to win. They won't give it 100%. So that's why it's important to really get with a team that sees you as an equal, not just a female driver. Yeah. Again, about the, the sort of the team organization. So you, you're saying that you're brought in as a driver, you're basically hired as a driver, paid as a driver, and you're not having to deal with, you know, finding sponsors, you know, getting the car ready. That's already taken care of by this organization. So that's kind of how it used to be more like, you know, back in the day, teams had these sponsors, but now it's been that, you know, drivers have to bring in sponsors themselves some teams will have some sponsors um you know with toyota being tied to my race team you know toyota has some brands that they work with sometimes you'll see you know mobile one or jbl on the cars um some of those toyota cars so you know they have some sponsorship but for the most part you know drivers have to bring in sponsorship and a lot of these kids their parents tend to pay for it so it's definitely difficult finding sponsors and that's kind of why I've been so lucky to have, you know, brands like Triller and FP Movement and Hair Club and so many others, Huda Beauty, um, that believe in me. And I feel like, you know, everyone knows female athletes are underfunded and I feel like I can definitely relate to that. It's hard to get that support from brands and um, current brands that are in the sport and manufacturers. So I'm very grateful for the brands that have supported me and um, the fact that they believe in me and female athletes is really amazing. Yeah, you did a recent interview with Shape, and I loved that whole, the whole article was terrific, and the way that you talked about it, and, you know, one thing in particular stuck out is that you wanted to normalize females in the sport. I thought that was great. Exactly. You know, like, a lot of people got mad about that interview, and I'm like, and they're trying to tell me I don't know how racing works and how sponsorship works. I'm like, you don't even, you don't even race, bud. Like, <laughs> trust me, I'm like right in the thick of it. I know what's going on. Um, but yeah, you know, people get mad. I feel like when female athletes talk about, you know, being a female athlete and the struggles and they're like, why do you bring it up if you don't want to be seen as a female athlete? And I'm like, as soon as you guys stop bringing it up, then it's when we'll stop, you know, when it becomes normal and when it's not that, oh, there's one female driver racing, you know, when everybody's just equal, that's when we can stop bringing it up. Yeah. I think it's interesting that you're talking about this wanting to balance being, uh, just a driver 
but also because everybody else brings it up and you're not getting as much sponsorship, you're not getting as much sport, you can't forget the part that you're a female driver. Exactly. And, you know, I think representation is so important. Seeing is believing. And I think, you know, the best way to get more females involved in the sport, you know, whether it's as a driver, or as a crew chief or a pit crew, whatever it may be, you know, representation is so important. So I feel like, you know, if they see you doing it, they think they can go do it too, which is great. Yeah. Sort of following along that thought is like, how, how are you, like, how do you relate to the idea of being the first Arab American female driver, being one of the few female drivers? Do you very actively sort of encourage other women to drive? Yeah, so when I did my first race at Daytona, that's when I found out that I was the first Arab American female driver in NASCAR, and that caught me off guard. It really wasn't a goal that I set out to achieve or a title that I set out to get, and I was really surprised by it, and I was honestly disappointed by the fact that I was the first. You know, NASCAR has been around for so long. You would have thought that another um, another Arab American female would have came up before me. So at first I was kind of disappointed, and then I kind of turned that around into, you know, I need to do something about this. I want to be able to represent who I am and have other girls feel like they can do it because I'm sure there's been others that, you know, had the thought of being a race car driver, but they just didn't see anybody do it. So they thought it wasn't, you know, possible for them. Um, so definitely, you know, after that race, you know, we got some good press and I feel like I was able to really voice my opinions about it and start, you know, representing and, you know, helping pave the way for other females to follow through. And, you know, I feel like I can go for even, even if you don't want to be in motorsports, I hope that I can inspire people to do things that are typically out of the norm because norms are stupid, stereotypes are stupid. I think they're just they're just made up. And I it's unfortunate when people feel like they have to be held back by them. What needs to happen in motorsports to get more women drivers? You know, I think the best thing, there's so many th different ways to go about it. You know, for me, I think just being welcoming to the females that are coming up through the ranks. There's so many younger girls and motorsports that are in the lower ranks right now and being welcoming to them and showing them support because it's difficult to go through the ranks and sometimes, you know, you feel isolated. You don't really have that many girls around you or you don't really feel like too many people around you can relate. So I feel like you're kind of by yourself a lot. So I think, you know, just us kind of coming together and supporting each other is really important. Lifting each other up is really important. And I think that will help with other people that aren't in the sport or the younger girls in the sport seeing, oh, wait, it's a great community and, you know, they'll want to come join. Do you have a sense of all the women that came before you and do you relate to that history? Yeah, I mean, the most known female that has made it up through the ranks is Danica Patrick. I've never met her personally, but there's so many females that have came through in NASCAR um, but didn't really make it to the top level. So I haven't really been able to meet too many of them. You know, there's some females out here that are racing that I'm friends with. I have a teammate. She's a really great racer, you know, and we all kind of like hang out and everything like that. But I haven't been able to meet too many of the past drivers in the sport. One of the things that struck me when I was prepping to talk to you, you know, you do a lot of social media and stuff, is that, you know, you have a really awesome balance of being so intelligent and really considered about your driving and also you know, not being afraid to show that you're interested in fashion and beauty and, and all of that. Yeah, you know, I think people in racing and NASCAR in particular, I feel like they just feel like they need to stick to a certain, you know, stereotype. And they're all very kind of cookie cutter. I feel like 
a lot of drivers in NASCAR are copy and paste, and I feel like nobody wants to go out of the box. They just want to stay in line, you know, they just want to go out there, drive, win races, and that's it. And I feel like they're very kind of cookie cutter. And for me, I kind of felt like I shouldn't have other passions just because I felt like a lot of these other drivers did it. And I was like, that's stupid. Like, I'm just going to go be myself, you know, do what I want to do on the side as well. And obviously racing is my focus, but if I love fashion, I can go pursue things in fashion. If I love makeup, I can, you know, not be afraid to go wear makeup. And I feel like there's so many different things that you can do. And, you know, just being confident with who you are and your interests and your passions, I think is really important because there's no reason why you can't do both or why you can't do multiple things. You know, I've had so many people tell me before, are you a race car driver? Or are you a model? I'm like, one, I don't consider myself a model, but two, even if I was, why couldn't I do both? Why do you have to choose between both of them? I think that's one interesting thing that I've seen doing the podcast is, you know, when you bring women into sports that are typically male, it just changes how things look and it makes it obvious that, you know, it doesn't have to be the way that it always has been. Exactly. You know, I think a lot of people tend to think girls are just in male dominated sports for attention and to be seen as, oh, like get all the attention because they're female. I'm like, no, like we're here because we actually want to be competitive and get through the ranks and um, you guys are really the ones that are singling us out. So I just think it's important to always be confident in yourself and people can think what they want to think. But as long as you know what your goals are and you know what you're there to do, that's the most important thing. You talk about confidence. So confidence is important to you, I gather. What about doubts? How do you manage those? How do you maintain your confidence? It's definitely difficult, especially, you know, you might have bad luck in one race and then you start doubting yourself. And it could be even, you know, like the last race I did, I didn't finish. It was from a mechanical problem, but, you know, I still tend to doubt myself when, you know, could I have done this differently or this differently? Or, you know, if you just have bad luck, it's just easy to, you know, lose a little bit of confidence. So I think it's important to one, surround yourself with people that lift you up and be like, no, you know, it's fine. You tried your best. This was out of your control. And I think it's important to take account, you know, what's in your control and what's out of your control and don't get stuck on the things that are out of your control. Writing a list down of things that are in your control and out of your control and really like looking at that and making sure you're not hesitating on the things that are out of your control because you probably are. Um, So I think that's really important. But yeah, you know, having doubts is natural and I don't think it's anything to freak out about if you are doubting yourself. Um, But make sure you can lift yourself back up too. I bet that helps having a good support team. Definitely. And, you know, that's why I love this team. I feel like they're always there to encourage you. And if you mess up, 100% they'll tell you, but they'll also help you get better and help you learn from it. Sort of along those same lines, I often wonder about the pressures of intense media coverage. And we've seen some of the mental health issues recently in, in sports and tennis and gymnastics. How have you found all the attention of the fans? And you're very active on social media, so I'm assuming that you know, you do like it. Yeah, I definitely love social media. You know, it definitely has its ups and downs. On race day, you know, it's hard. For the most part on race day, I'll, you know, get the content that I need to get for my sponsors and the brands that are supporting me because obviously that's important. And I also do want to let fans into my race day and in behind the scenes and all that kind of stuff. But for the most part, I won't touch social media on race day. You know, I'll get stuff on my phone. I'll have other people get content for me. And after the race day is done is when I'll go on social media. I just don't want that to be in my head. You know, it's easy to read one negative comment and that can like affect, you know, how you're feeling right before a race. 
So for me, you know, I'll make sure to get content on race day, but I won't actually be on my platforms all that much because, you know, it is hard and there's a lot of pressure and, you know, the races are televised. So that's hard to, you know, with cameras in your face and then, you know, you have fans and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, there's a lot of people watching, but I think it's important to kind of develop this tunnel vision where you're just focused on your job ahead. Yeah. How do you develop that tunnel vision? I mean, I would think particularly with a TV, you know, you'd have to sort of forget about everybody who's watching. It honestly kind of happens naturally to me. As soon as I'm in the race car and that engine turns on, my mind just like, there's like this switch that just flips in my head and nothing else matters to me besides the race. It's crazy. I could have anything else going on in my life. And as soon as that engine's on, it is just out the window. I don't even think about it. So yeah, I think, you know, the times here is difficult is more so after races, you know, like during the week, like looking at social media, but I don't feel that pressure on race day. Have you always had that focus in the car? I think so. I've never had to train myself to be focused. <laughs> Even when I was a kid, there's been times where I'll be like, you know, playing right before, getting like an argument with my sister right before, and it just all goes out the window. I like don't even remember it as soon as I'm racing. So to s switch topics a little bit, you know, we're still in COVID. I keep hoping that we're going to be out of COVID one of these days, but I can't help asking sort of COVID questions. So here's my COVID question for you. It's like, how are you maintaining, I guess, your your personal health as you're traveling? And by personal health, I mean, you know, caring for yourself, eating right, mm -hmm. you know, making sure that you stay mentally stable during COVID and also during all the high pressure racing that you're doing. Yeah, you know, it's definitely difficult with travel to stay healthy, you know. Obviously, it's more difficult to eat healthy when you're on the road or traveling. But even for me, the easiest thing for me that happens is if I don't get enough sleep, I'll just start getting sick and I'll start to feel very run down. So I think the number one thing for me is make sure I'm getting enough sleep. And I don't do a great job about that, but at least try to catch up on days that I can and not feel guilty about sleeping in. Cause for me, I have a weird thing. If I sleep in, I feel like I'm being unproductive, but it's important to listen to your body too. You know, if you are feeling tired and run down, listen to that, listen, you know, listen to your body if you need that sleep. And I feel like that's been really important for me. And then when I am home, you know, I'll meal prep, make sure I'm eating super healthy, taking vitamins, hydrating a lot is really important too. So I think, you know, when you're traveling, it's easy to kind of slack off, but as soon as I get back, I make sure I'm super focused on them. Just sleep's number one. As it should be. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, and so you mentioned nutrition and eating well. What What's your diet or how do you eat well? Yeah, I feel like I always eat decently healthy. I don't really, I don't really tend to eat any, I guess, junk food. But also I'm the type of person, if, if I feel like eating something, I'll just eat it. I'm not going to be like, oh, like I want french fries, but I can't have french fries. Like I'll just eat the freaking french fries. Um, so... I'll kind of just eat whatever my body's feeling. I feel like, you know, if you're craving something, it's for a reason. But I do eat decently healthy. And um, I just think the biggest thing is fueling your, your body with nutritious foods, like a lot of vitamins, all that kind of stuff. And um, the biggest thing for me is trying not to eat processed foods. But other than that, I'm pretty flexible on what I eat. I used to be vegan, but now I just kind of follow more of like a pescatarian diet. I'll eat chicken sometimes. But yeah, I eat pretty healthy. And you are interested in fashion and beauty. What's your, do you have a regimen? Anything we should know? Um, I always change up my looks. I feel like fashion wise, it kind of just depends what I'm feeling that day. Um, comfort's really important. You know, when I'm around here, I tend to kind of go for, in general, I try to go for, 
I wear a lot of vintage NASCAR racing t-shirts and oversized jeans and like my dunks or new balances. Very like comfortable, but I try to be somewhat fashionable at the same time. But for me, I always think the coolest look is when it's so effortless, but it still looks so good. So I always try to have a little bit of like an effortless vibe when I'm dressing up. And then, you know, with my makeup routine, Huda Beauty was on my car this year, which was really cool because I actually use their products. And I've always loved Huda ever since I was a kid. I, you know, grew up as a teenager watching her makeup tutorials and videos. So I love copying, you know, her makeup routines and just using her products. So that was a really, really surreal thing to have her on my race car. Cool. You have done a lot of interviews. And is there anything that no one has ever asked you that you wish they did? Good question. Um, I'm trying to think. I feel like a lot of people have asked me about racing. That's such a good question. I feel like people have pretty much asked me. I feel like I've kind of grazed over different topics. You know, for the most part, it's racing based. Um, I think it's fun when people try to ask kind of more like personal, not like personal questions, but <laughs> stuff about my personality or like other interests outside of racing. I think that's fun to talk about because it's easy for people to think, oh, she's just a race car driver, but I have, you know, so many other interests just like everyone else. So it's kind of fun to talk about non-racing things sometimes. What do you do uh, off the track? It's funny because I always say like, oh, other interests. And you're going to be like, what interests do you have after I say this? But when I'm not racing or I'm not on my simulator, I will literally just go to the go-kart track with my friends. Um, <laughs> so it literally sounds like I have no life, but I'll do that. But, you know, I also love if I'm not traveling or racing, I love just to have a downtime to hang out with friends and grab lunch and just like hang out and chill and just not being like a loud, busy place for a hot minute. So for me, I kind of like doing that and I don't really have time to pursue too many other interests, but, but definitely, you know, I have the off season coming up and I have all these ideas of what I want to do. I'm like, I want to maybe take some like acting classes for fun and maybe Ooh. some dancing classes. I just feel like it'd be fun to do little stuff like that while I can during the winter. So your off season is the winter? Yeah. So basically my last race will be November 6th. And then the next time I get back in the car, I might do a race on New Year's Eve, but other than that, we'll have a test at Daytona end of January. Um, so basically November, December, early January is off for us. And what will you be doing? I have different ideas of what I want to do. You know, I'll definitely make sure to go back home to California, spend time with my family because I really haven't been able to do that this year. So especially for Thanksgiving, Christmas, all that, I'll make sure to go back home and then... I'll honestly probably still be training out here, getting as much simulator time as possible, training with my trainer every day. Even though it is the off season, I still wanna make sure that I use this time to prepare so I can start strong at Daytona because you know, I know my team's working hard on these race cars during the off season. So I wanna be making sure I'm working hard on myself as well. Yeah, I mean, you can't let yourself go. Over. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. You talked about hanging out with friends. How do you maintain those relationships with traveling so much? It's kind of funny because literally every single friend that I have out here in North Carolina is in the racing industry. Most of them are race car drivers themselves. So we all kind of travel on the same days and we have the same type of schedule in a way, which is kind of funny. But yeah, every single person out here, you know, North Carolina is really the hub for all things NASCAR. All the NASCAR drivers and teams are out here. We all kind of have a pretty similar schedule. We'll be racing on the weekends. Monday through Wednesday is kind of the days where we can hang out. So yeah, a lot of my friends out here are in the racing industry. So it's kind of easy to maintain those relationships. And I feel like 
we kind of get what each other are going through because it is kind of a different thing compared to what everyone else is doing. Right, the nine to five. I want to go back to being a woman driver. I always find it very impressive when women in male-dominated fields are able to progress in the field. So, like, how do you think you've managed that? And when you confront sexism, how are you tackling that, I guess? Yeah, so I've never seen myself as a female driver or as a female when I'm racing. You know, I always say, as soon as the helmet comes on, I'm a driver just like everyone else. The car doesn't know gender, the track doesn't know gender. It's not something that's going through my mind. So it's been pretty easy for me to just not think about it and kind of block it out in a way, just so irrelevant to me. And I always say, you know, if it's something that other people are talking about or thinking about, that's kind of, that's more of a them problem. You know, it's not gonna affect the way that I drive my race car or I communicate to my team or, you know, how I finish at the end of the day, like what their thoughts aren't gonna affect me like that. But you know, it's hard, you know, you get sexist comments a lot. I hear it all the time. But I think it's just important to, it's easier said than done, but to try to just brush it off. And, you know, there's been instances where I wish I didn't just brush it off and I kind of said something because I think there's an important balance of, yes, like don't let it affect you, you know, brush it off. But I also think standing up for what's right and really setting the tone so other, you know, younger girls, if they see that comment or hear that comment, like I want them to know that that's not okay. But I think that's difficult. It's like a difficult balance of, you know, standing up for yourself and not letting that get to you. And how did you deal with, you know, you talked earlier about, you know, the crew not listening to you, for example. Like, what do you, what do, you do with that? Yeah, honestly, I had a bad couple seasons just with being, you know, not really knowing what teams to get with and being with teams that don't really believe in me and listen to me. And you just kind of have to just stick it out. You have a rough season, you know, either like leave that team, switch different teams, but you know, it's hard, you know, my parents weren't in racing before this. So I was kind of figuring stuff out as I went. So obviously I was bound to make, you know, some mistakes and choices that weren't the best, but also I think it's all learning experience and knowing who you work best with and what types of teams and personalities that you work best with. And now I know for myself, that's a priority. Like I want them to see me as a driver. Don't treat me as a girl. I think that's just super important. But yeah, unfortunately kind of just messes up your race season a little bit and you just have to you know, get with a better team for next season. Sure, you, I mean, you wouldn't know that was a thing until it happened and then you exactly. adjust. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So before we sign off, do you have advice for young girls who might want to get into racing? Yeah, you know, just be the girl that goes and does it. So many girls are afraid to just get started and do it. And that's, the hardest step is the first one. And once you get past that first step, then you'll be good. And I just think just having that confidence in yourself to just go out there, try it. Is it gonna be uncomfortable? Are you gonna know what you're doing? You know, probably not. It's gonna be a whole new experience, but you know, be confident in yourself and it's something, if it's something that you're passionate about and you wanna go do, just go and do it. Be the girl that just goes and does it. Did you ever have moments thinking, like, why am I a girl wanting to drive? Honestly, no, it's just so funny. And it might've also been because, you know, my twin sister Annie was driving with me. So to me, I was like, oh, like my sister is doing it too. It wasn't like, oh, like I'm the only girl here. But yeah, I've never really had those thoughts, which is kind of funny. I think that's great. I think that's mm -hmm. really great. You must have a good role models in your family. Definitely. You know, my dad's group with my mom. She's really taught me a lot. She's very strong. So she's definitely my best role model for sure. That's awesome. 
Well, thank you, Tony, so much. It's a real pleasure that this worked out and I'm so excited to follow your season. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for talking with me. That's it for this week's show. It is so good to be back talking to really outstanding women and sharing those conversations with you every other week. Thank you for listening and following along. I'm putting together a series on nutrition, so send me a note if you have a question for an expert. Find me on social at hearhersports or email elizabeth at hearhersports.com. I love talking food and nutrition, so I'm super excited to hear what you're thinking about. A couple of things I'm wondering about are fueling properly during races, metabolic efficiency training, and protein needs. I haven't asked for all you listeners. Tell a friend about the podcast. I'm sure you have sporty friends who would love to hear motivating words from female athletes. And it does help us when more people listen and continue to spread the word. We always have great shows coming up, so make sure to subscribe for free to Hear Her Sports on your favorite podcast player so you don't miss anything. Until next time, bye-bye. Hey there, and welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast, hosted by me, Minter Dial, a veteran of the paddle tennis world, and sponsored by Paddle 1969. Whether you're a paddle tennis aficionado, just beginning, or have never even heard of paddle, or padel, as it's called in North America, this is an exhilarating new show that delves into the captivating stories of notable paddle personalities worldwide. In its inaugural season, you'll be treated to exclusive anecdotes, valuable tips, life lessons, and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players, industry insiders, and passionate paddle enthusiasts. With each season aligning with the Pro Tour, you can anticipate two engaging episodes per month. The Joy of Paddle Podcast is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, where you can find other great shows in a number of categories, such as sports, health and wellness, true crime, and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen Podcasts, go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos! Vamos!